lugging them to the pediatrician to get the note for them to say, yep, they're sick. Yeah, yep, clearly. Don't send them to school. Thanks for telling yeah. me that because I knew that. I haven't slept in four <laughs> nights, but anyway. Yeah, even regardless of the pandemic, the system is so broken. Like you're expected to work as if you're not a parent and parent as if you have no other job and yeah. it's just too much. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Rachel. I am a mother of two with my Montessori training and infant toddler, which is birth to three years old. I am here with Laura, mother of one, soon to be mother of two with her Montessori training in lower and upper elementary, which is ages six to nine, and Megan, mother of two with her training in lower elementary, ages six to nine, and she is also currently working on her primary training, which is ages three to six. So let's start by catching up. How's everyone's week been? I think we all know how we've all been, but let's tell the world how we've all been. Yeah, we definitely just spent 25 minutes before hitting the record button, catching up. Complaining. A, yeah, just basically commiserating <laughs> on everything that's going on. Um, I'll do a quick, Sharon. I, like you said, am soon to be mother of two. I feel like I keep saying that and keep just being pregnant, but like <laughs> I am officially. 38 weeks and one day. And my daughter came at, oh we my talked gosh. about this last time, Whoa. 38 weeks and three days. So there's like a part of me that expects that possibly by the end of this week, like by the time this episode's coming out, actually this episode is due to come yeah. out on my baby, which I You will better be have shocked. a baby. <laughs> yeah. I had better have a baby. <laughs> we had a couple people DM us like, how dare you? I was pregnant for 42 weeks. Like you guys are so privileged thinking that going before <laughs> your duty is like what's supposed to happen. And I get that. But that being said, my feet are balloon animals at this point. Like they're not even actual human feet anymore. I am so uncomfortable. So like baby boy, you can come any day now. And my panic list is pretty much checked off. And I had a lovely little mother's blessing ceremony that you both attended slash hosted for me. And like emotionally speaking and physically speaking, I am ready to go. So that's where I'm at right now. How about you guys? Yes, we did your mother's blessing, which was so beautiful. I had never been to one before. Although when you said you wanted to do it, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I just started going with it. Like I knew. <laughs> I love that about you. I really do. You were like, not only will I be there, I will host it. <laughs> do I know what it is? No. Will no. I do it? Of course. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just been 
It's been a lot of sickness, which I know that we missed our previous episode, which we have tried really hard not to do, but it was so necessary. (laughs) It was so necessary. And I didn't update you guys on my car situation. So when I was going, so this is happening live because usually they know everything that's going on in my life and act surprised on the podcast, but here (laughs) we go. This is happening live. So when I was driving to the blessing ceremony, my house is about an hour, we think like an hour, 20 minutes. Yeah, about an hour and a half. Yeah. An hour and a half. And I was driving and I had picked up all of the food from the caterer. And so the whole back of my car is just filled with amazing, delicious food. And I think it was about a half hour from your house and my, my light, my check engine light starts to blink. The car starts shaking and everything like the engine starts sputtering. And I was like, well, that's bad. And so I pulled over, you know, been there, done that. So (laughs) we didn't even skip a beat, just called the Uber (laughs) put all my stuff in the Uber and then, you know, had the car towed. And I was like, I'll just deal with it later. Went and had our beautiful time with Laura and ended up going to the dealership. The people at the dealership were like, that'll be $8,000. Oh no. (laughs) $8,000. I was like, the car is not even worth $8,000. So um, yeah, we're dealing with that, you know, either, buying a new car or I don't know. It's so that's happening. My family's been sick. I've been finishing up my practice teaching hours in the classroom, which for my certification requires 120 practice teaching hours, which doesn't seem like a lot until you realize there's only like seven hours in a day. Mm. And, and then you're like, Oh, this is, this is a lot of hours. So I have 120 hours between being sick And the kids being sick, I have, it's been like four weeks now of me practice teaching. And I go on the Friday, like I'm done. I go to tally all of my hours and I'm at 117.5. Oh God. Hours. Seriously. (laughs) Of course. And so I was like, can I come back one more day? And now my kid's sick and I miss that day. And so I never, I'm never finishing and I quit. (laughs) Forget about it. I know I said I was going to do it, whatever. And my Um, albums got ruined. So yeah. Okay. You're just glossing over the fact that. Yeah. Did you not? Oh my God. Really long Sharon for me, but this is just a tornado. I didn't hear this part. This is the worst part. So I have put, if you're not familiar with, Montessori training, you have to put together albums for each area of the classroom. So math, language, um, sensorial, and practical life. So in all of those, I have to write each presentation and then I have to illustrate each each presentation, like the material that re- mm-hmm. requires. And most of How them to have give to the be- lesson. Yes. Most of them in my training have to be drawn by hand. And I'm not a very good artist. So it, it was a labor of love. So I had all of them put together, put them in page protectors, had them checked by my trainer um, with only a few like little minor tweaks left to go. And so I was really excited to have that part done. And I'm about to be done with my practice teaching. My observation hours are done. Like we're, we're coming together. And um, this stupid car 
I'm glad it's dead. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's dead to me. It's my husband's car, and apparently it leaks when it rains. And I was taking my albums back and forth to help me with my practice teaching. You know, if they want me to do a specific presentation, and I'm not sure how, I can go to my album and and get myself ready. So I was taking them back and forth. It rained. It leaked all over my albums, and they're ruined. And I'm not going to cry, but I'm going to cry. It's so oh, terrible. Word. And anyone who's ever been through training knows it's just the worst thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> it yeah. truly is the worst thing that could yeah. possibly happen. You know, uh, it's like if you're me, going through school and it's like your thesis gets lost or something. <laughs> like, it's bad. Yeah, like, completely destroyed. Like, cannot yeah, be gone. recovered. Has to be rewritten from scratch. And also, yeah. you wrote it by hand to begin with. You couldn't type it. <laughs> it was... <laughs> basically so. chiseled into a tablet dude she told me and usually with these typical megan stories that we all like have a good laugh at <laughs> i have something kind of like sarcastic to say but she told me that one and i was like oh my i am so sorry like there was nothing yeah. funny about that yeah. oh it's so and it's that's like so if rough. the car could have died before it rained right like that would have been nice consider it just then i would just owe eight thousand dollars but now <laughs> You owe $8,000 and, and your and albums. albums are ruined. A piece of your soul. Yeah. So now that I've just brought you all down and just ruined your day, Rachel. Rachel? <laughs> How are you doing? Are you going to bring us down have, even I, further? I don't have much much better to say here. We're just so sick, too. It's like we we get out of we can't get out of this sick cycle. It's like, okay, my toddler's sick, and then I was sick. And then my infant's sick. And then we think she's better. And then she has another fever. And it's just like, can we please just like catch a break to breathe? I mean, we're both working parents. Like we look at each other. Okay. Or we just don't even talk about it. And I just leave and go to school and just hope that my, I'm like, sorry, but as his job is more flexible than mine, but he also commutes an hour. So like midday it's on me. And then I don't know. It's just a lot. It's hard working parents out there and not working parents who have six sick kids. But I think the the aspect of like having to figure out childcare when we're like, I'm like, I don't have a sub. I literally yeah. like, you know, and then there's yeah. guilt put on me of not going in the classroom. And that, but there's guilt on me being a mom. I can't be home with my sick child, especially my nursing child hmm. who won't take a bottle. So literally today my child is sick. So my husband brings her to the parking lot and I go down and nurse in my, oh my car God. and then he takes her back home. So it's just like the dynamic of it sucks. It just sucks. And it's There's like in this no post-COVID world it. too. It's yeah. not even like, oh, you're sick and then you come back to school. It's like, no. oh, you're sick and you have to wait like a hundred and ninety. And we need all these hours. negative tests and all and these you, doctor notes. And you have to and get yeah. a doctor's note and you have like all these things that just yep. make it even more stressful you know you're taking your yep. kid lugging them to the pediatrician to get the note for them to say yep they're sick yeah <laughs> yep, clearly don't send them to school <laughs> thanks for telling yeah. me that because i knew that i haven't slept in four <laughs> nights but anyway yeah even regardless of the pandemic the system is so broken like you're expected to work as if you're not a parent and parent as if you have no other job and yeah. it's just too much it's too it much. is it is and then if you're staying at home with sick kids you just get no break like you no, just have never. whiny no. sick kids who no. you just, yeah. So everyone who's sick out there, including us, I wish you 
health. I wish you immunity. I wish you strength and patience and sleep and airways that are clear (laughs) and vomit that is mostly odorless. (laughs) Amen. I love it. (laughs) And on that note, Laura, would you like to kick us off? On that note, today, we're actually going to take a little break from our deep dive into the scope and sequence of the math curriculum in the Montessori classrooms. And instead, we're going to address some of the questions that our awesome listeners have been submitting to us. So we have one more episode planned to cover how math evolves at the elementary level. But we realize that it's actually maybe not everyone is like super necessarily stoked about this heavy academic topic. And in the meantime, There have been some repeat questions and people reaching out looking for feedback on some specific things. And we really didn't want to have to make you wait any longer. So taking this little break. Everyone has been really, we've gotten amazing feedback from all of you about the math. It's not that anyone is complaining. And if you you want to complain, we are here to listen. (laughs) Kind of. No, that'll hurt my feelings. Sort of, not really. (laughs) Kind of. No, I'm too sensitive. Please don't. Please don't complain. I'm very fragile. (laughs) But we do realize that not every it, it's not it doesn't serve everyone. Not everyone wants to listen to basically a month of math. So for those of you who have been waiting for other content, we we are here for you. Yeah, we're gonna throw you this bone. We will get back and finish the last piece of math and eventually continue to move on to other academic things because you know a lot of people, like you said, are interested. But we realize that you know if you're not interested, it's hard to just like sit it out for weeks and weeks on end and wait for that to pass. So we're just going to throw in this little guy right here. This is a little Q&A, and we're going to kick it off with our first question, probably the one that we've gotten the most recently, and that is, what are our best tips and tricks for setting up an environment for more than one child, especially children of different ages and capabilities, right? So I think a couple of these listeners have, in particular, like an infant and a toddler type deal. So Rachel, this is your life right now. Why don't you get us started? Yeah, so this is hard. Um, I am living it right now every second of every day when I'm home. Um, and I have to say, even though my environment is is set up for both children in the best possible way for them to be successful um, and for them to work and be engaged and independent, it's still so tricky. My infant is taking my toddler's work and vice versa. I mean, like I'm like, seriously... Top toddler little boy, you're going to choose that little ball work that she, I mean, it's just like, I look at him sometimes. I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> you know, you don't want to work with that lesson. But anyway, so um, also one thing, and this might be new, um, my toddler doesn't know how to share. I don't make him share. Um, he's not quite at that point where he has that understanding of sharing yet. So um, when it's in his hands, it's his work. And when it's in her hands, it's her work. Um, so that's just something I'm also kind of dealing with because some some parents or some people might be like, oh, well, that was on the shelf for your infant. So you take it from him and give it to her. But if he chose it off the shelf, and um, I'm going to say this in a second, but then it's his work. So the way I set up the shelf. I have like a 12 cube. I don't have an actual just um, low Montessori shelf. I kind of just, when I set up the playroom a while ago, I just found the shelf. It's worked. It's so it's just kind of what I've kept. 
Um, so I have, it's not 12 cubes. I'm looking at it right now. Clearly I can't count. I need to listen to the math episodes. <laughs> it's nine cubes. So it's like three, three, three. Um, and the top six cubes are for my toddler and the bottom three are for my infant. So she is crawling so she can crawl to those three bottom shelves. She's also pulling up now. So she does pull up and kind of reach. She can't reach the top one. So if I do have materials on there that maybe I don't want her to touch, um, she can't reach that top tier. So I put those up there. Um, but she can reach the second one. So I have to also think about when I'm putting things out like, okay, sh- which nothing in the playroom is going to be un- not safe for her. But just things maybe I don't want her to touch. I have to think about where I'm placing those. Um, she also has like just a basket separately of um, like books that can go in her mouth and teethers that are always available that just are on the ground accessible to her. Um, and we have a normal book basket that's available for both of them. So this is a playroom setup. We um, have a playroom in our house. Fortunately, we have that extra space. So that's nice to have our kind of um, work play environment set up in here. I have her love every play mat that is now set up into a tent. So um, they like to play in that. And I have, let's see, we have an art easel. So also that's been a big one for us lately. Um, my toddler's super into that, and um, but she can pull up on it. So he's like, but these are my markers. But if she can pull up and reach it, it's it can be her work too. Now, does she color? No, but she has the marker in her mouth or holds them crawling around the room. And that's fine with me. So it's just, it's hard. It's so hard and I'm still figuring it out. And I'm still trying to figure out what works and what I need to put out when for her or for it both to work for both. But my advice to you is just be patient. And I think the easiest thing for me is it's not his work. It's not her work. It's both of their work and they can choose as they please. Now, developmentally, should my toddler be choosing that infant work? Not always. That's But if he chooses to play with that ball for that time being, probably just a tank filler for me to kind of be like, hey, you can use that work and then put it back for Sissy to choose. Like, it, that's fine. It's, it, it is what it is and you just kind of have to go with it. So that's my yeah. two cents. It's not easy. Yeah, I definitely couldn't give better advice on this topic than our trained infant toddler guide. I also, (laughs) as I mentioned, am waiting for number two to arrive still, so I've not lived this yet. But I do think it's important to reiterate that if you're dealing with children, especially in that first plane of development, so birth through six, and especially, especially birth through three, you have to go in expecting that there will be frustrations. You will need to mediate You'll have to be ready to offer language and alternatives to your kids outside of pushing each other down or away, screaming, pulling, all those typical and totally normal behaviors that we see, especially between siblings. So your, you know, language like you're allowed to be upset that your sister took your work out of your hands. You are not allowed to hit her or hurt her. You can say, walk away. This is my work. You can come get mommy if she isn't hearing your words. So just sort of having to help them navigate that in a safe way. Um, As Rachel says, forcing them to share beautifully all the time just isn't going to happen at this age and it isn't really appropriate anyway. So just make sure that everything that is accessible to both children is safe for both of them to have. Um, You can have a rule like Rachel's where if it's not being actively used by someone, then it's up for grabs. 
I also really like the idea of having the things for the younger, less mobile child closer to the floor, just in terms of like logistically how to set it up. Uh, Things for the older, more physically capable child can be higher up, maybe a little bit harder for the younger one to get to if possible. I like that you have the love every mat has kind of turned into a little tent. I know you have a little teepee in there too. So you kind of have this option of like a calm body space or a corner is a great thing to offer if you can work it into your space. I understand space is a luxury. And that, you know, offering something like that though could just basically mean that you've marked off an area in the room that they play in where a child is welcome to go be when they are getting extra frustrated and maybe they just need a break from each other. And that's also a thing that takes some time to get down and will need some modeling and lots of you offering and reminding that it's there and it's an option. Um, but just those are kind of some things I want to just circle back to for people who are struggling through this, because as you said, there's not going to be a super quick, easy fix. Um, but just knowing that what you're experiencing, if you're experiencing all of that is totally normal and you do have like a little bit of control or a little bit of modeling that you can do that might help it eventually smooth out could be helpful to hear. Right. Yeah. I love all of those, um, suggestions and we obviously do something very similar we treat it very much like a Montessori classroom in that if it's on the shelf it's available and if it is you know on someone's mat or if it's on someone's table or if someone's actively working on it then it's not available Um, and that's a language that we use a lot of it's not available let's choose something else Um, I know Rachel's talked about this a lot but Um, sports casting is really helpful. I have two very young toddlers who are very similar in Mm -hmm. age. Um, so in, you know, instead of maybe directly talking to them, a lot of just talking out loud about what I'm seeing. Um, and I'm sure we could do a whole episode where Rachel talks us through how that is beneficial and helpful for toddlers. Um, and something that was helpful. So I didn't have a lot of time where they were in very different stages. Um, but when I, when my son was a lot smaller, I would put my daughter's things in Tupperware with a lid. Um, anything that I didn't want his mouth on or didn't want him being able to grab. And that was just a signal for her that she needed to come and get me before she started that work. And something that um, we talk a lot about is making things as accessible as possible. Sometimes if it's a safety thing um, or even in the classroom, there are certain things that they need to come to the guide to say, I would like to do this so that they can get something down. Mostly everything should be available. There should always be choices, but if it's something that is a safety issue, I would put a lid on it and that she would have to come to me to kind of help her get everything out so that I was able to make sure that I was supervising when that was out. If it was like, say, um, I don't know, Play-Doh, where he would put it in his mouth, I would have a lid on it that she would have to come get me and I would open it. And so I knew that she had that out and I needed to be more present and um, supervise it, make sure he's not eating it kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of the biggest helpful thing for me is to have lids on things or keep it really high and let them know like, it's here, here's the paint. If you'd like to do the paint, come and get me and I'll help you get it set up. So um, yeah, those are my little tips for two different ages in the home. I love that. Thank you, guys. I'm going to use those myself. 
Um, our second question <clears throat> is, are there parts of Montessori that we bypass due to being outdated? So I can start with that. Um, we bypass nothing, really. I mean, I think, and I'm proud of us for saying we are very, 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 very true to the philosophy. I think we have these conversations all the time about how we can keep the philosophy strong and clear, but also be pract practical for our listeners. Um, but we definitely believe Maria set this foundation, foundation because it works and because children thrive when we set them up an environment that meets their needs and allows them to be independent doing work that we all do in life. So have times changed? Of course, yes. But I think Maria would agree that she wants us to stick with the philosophy, but adapt to the world around us. I mean, she wanted us to be global citizens, to be respectful citizens So in this world. So she would want us, I believe, to grow and change and adapt to the world around us by also sticking to this philosophy and her um, beliefs that we clearly love and follow. <laughs> clearly. Clearly. Clearly have a thing for this lady. Um, <laughs> and I, I totally agree. I think that the thing that's so amazing about this philosophy is that for the most part, it's not only not at all like outdated, it is continually being proven by modern science to be quite effective and relevant. And I think that being said, and to Rachel's point, we have discussed that there are some societal and cultural norms that exist today that just simply did not exist when Maria was around. And so to that point, we've had to sort of accommodate and adapt those things into the overall philosophy. For example, screen time, right? We've talked about that lots of times. That was just not a thing. Kids didn't have iPads or TVs and cell phones and stuff like that when she was working with them at, in the you know 1940s. Um, but yeah, I think I can't really think of much of anything else that I came across in my training anyway that Maria preached that isn't still relevant to this day, if not all of a sudden becoming a trend in parenting. Like we've drawn these comparisons between Montessori and these newer concepts or newer terms like gentle parenting or what I prefer conscious parenting, right? So not to mention that this respectful of all like... Sorry, let me try, let's try to say that again. Gentle parenting or conscious parenting. And not to mention that the entire, this concept of like be respectful to all slash be a global citizen thing is insanely important nowadays. It feels way more relevant now than even when like I was a kid. And during her time, that was born out of the realization that World War II was unfolding around her and children were our best chance to eradicate the kind of hate and selfishness that breeds war. And unfortunately, that is still very much a thing that adults around the world totally need help with. So I personally feel like the philosophy in pretty much every respect that I've come across thus far is still very relevant and not really outdated at all. What do you Even think, Megan? Even academics, like, you know, yeah. we see all the time new studies coming out about certain things that we knew that Maria Montessori had been talking about for hundred years, <laughs> you know, right. Like the importance like, of being able to manipulate concepts and the connection between your hand and your brain. You know, and like, this is all new science and um, right, 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 all right. kinds of things, total reading, things like that. It's all, um, you know, comes up with like new findings. And it's like, well, it's not new. It's, it's not, new not all that new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. But more, um, I agree that I think everything in the philosophy, I don't think it's outdated at all. I think it's really relevant. Um, 
in in education it's really relevant and still interesting that it it we can see it working with children who are so different from what they were in the early 1900s um more specifically i do believe that she had some teachings about feeding that were yeah. outdated. Rachel said she'd look that up for me because I couldn't remember where they were and, from. Um, I Yes. And in my album, there is a whole thing about purees and spoon feeding, um, which now is typically something some people, I know my pediatrician um, also encourages baby led weaning and self-feeding a lot, but that's like a And I think kind that of she would be on board with that had I she think so too. had more time to develop that or see this trend the change developing um and so and that's something i i think the reason that it has stayed so relevant is that she believed in observation and she believed in science and she believed in adapting to the science so i do think that if she were were around now she would probably be all about baby led weaning um but at the time so that's outdated but that's also she was a woman of her time and place um the floor bed Obviously is not um, signed off by the government as far as safety goes. Um, And we all didn't do it. So that is definitely something that we bypassed. I wouldn't say say we bypassed it because it was outdated. Um, But if you were to, you know, what is it? If you looked it up on the AAP, like it would technically not be considered safe sleep to have an infant in a, on on a floor bed, um, whenever. And, and we definitely like, we had nap times. We weren't, you know, she wrote about when a child is tired, they should be able to get into their bed and sleep. And I think that's awesome. That's not something we did. Um, and again, it wasn't necessarily because it was outdated, but mostly because I think that for me, like we could talk about, we've talked about sleep a lot and I could talk about sleep a lot, but just for me specifically of not having that village, you know, we had, me and my husband, really, you know, we didn't have aunts and, and uncles and grandmas and grandpas of, you know, all near us able to take the baby when we were tired. So we definitely needed the crib and we needed nap times and we needed a schedule just for my own mental maternal health. And I am okay with that. And I, um, I wish that I, you know, could have maybe done the floor bed route, but we consciously chose not to. And yeah, so that's definitely something that we, we bypassed within the philosophy, although she doesn't talk about it a ton. I think it's more trendy now. Uh, and I know it's worked for a lot of people and a lot of people did it before it was trendy, but, um, and other cultures do it, but definitely we didn't do it. That's a good point. I will, I guess I do have to eat my words there. I wasn't, I didn't know anything about her views on feeding. I think that would come more in like the infant toddler training than where, you know, I kind of jumped in at the elementary ages where we assume you're already feeding them solids, but, (laughs) but the whole no containers ever thing, I guess that is one that I sort of had like a hybrid take on because we did always have a crib. And for me, I think that might've been more honestly, like the crushing postpartum anxiety that I had, right? That's what mine was that I did not expect to have. Like I had known about the floor bed thing and I loved that idea. And once she was here, I was like, no, you are absolutely going in a place where I know <laughs> that you are physically safe. It cannot roll away, cannot get stuck in a thing, you know, like just the whole nine. So that's a good point. I, yeah. I have to admit that one. 
And I guess some other things that are probably, well, not probably, are definitely outdated. If you read any of her books, um, there's a lot of language that is incredibly outdated and would now be considered incredibly offensive. Um, Mm. I mean, we have to remember that she was Italian and the books are translated into English and also they weren't considered offensive at the time. Um, so, you know, she believed in respecting children. She obviously wouldn't use words that were disrespectful of children because that goes against her entire philosophy. So it wasn't disrespectful at the time, but now it definitely is. So I would say that that is also very outdated. Um, but again, if she were here now, I believe that she would not be using those words to describe children. Um, so yeah, that's another thing that is outdated, but can easily be replaced with what she meant, but more in a more modern. Right. That's the thing is like scientifically and medically speaking, those terms were very much accepted because, you know, at first Maria kind of, she cut her teeth working with developmentally delayed children or children that were considered to be, or assumed to be. Um, and there were different terms used for those children than we use nowadays. So yeah, you could definitely read her really heavy academic writing and come across terms that you're like, whoa, we would never say that now. Um, but to your point, I'm sure she wouldn't either if she were here because that has changed in the culture of science. Right. It was a medical term at the time and now it's a slur. Um, Right. And also it's translated. So there's all, there's layers to it. Yeah. And she also uses very, um, again, she's, she's Italian, but she also used a lot of um, sexist, what would be considered now sexist terminology referring to the child as he most of the time. Again, there's, male uh masculine and feminine um articles and nouns within the language you can tell me laura within italian right yeah um yeah just so like that's Spanish. also something that is is outdated that we would change now but um again nothing that is consequential to the philosophy itself yeah so there you go we've been as super honest there are outdated things that you can come across studying maria montessori but the overall major points of the philosophy and how to implement it. As Rachel said, we've been pretty, pretty good about sticking to the point of all of her, you know, work in general. Um, All right. The third question we have tonight is, this one's a doozy. I had three sons in 12 months. I find Montessori hard due to sheer volume of children. Advice? Question mark? Oh, <laughs> honey. Yeah. I I don't have much advice other than just telling you to like step back and give yourself grace and ask for help. And I realize you may not have help. I know. Um, I mean, we live away from my family, um, my husband's family. So help is sometimes like hours and hours away or paying somebody to help. But I hope there is someone who can help you and give you a break so that this method doesn't feel so overwhelming because it's not supposed to feel like that. Really, it's supposed to make your life easier. Um, It's supposed to make your life easier because a lot of times if you are practicing this um, method philosophy kind of correctly, it should feel lighter. It should be like, oh, well, they're doing it. Um, but clearly I don't even know how you're functioning. So I know, I know (laughs) that's all. 
I, I thank you for doing the work you're doing as a mother. <laughs> yeah, you're doing the Lord's work. Yeah. yeah, I have definitely my note is wow. Okay, that's the first yeah. word I have there. And then first of all, I just want to say bless you, like seriously, because this season of life has to be the most challenging and rewarding one yet. And I just hope that you realize what a rock star you are for even having the strength and the presence of mind to like research stuff like this and then reach out and like ask you know, these the kinds of questions. You even asked us this, us this question. I like, know. Oh. I think I would just turn the podcast off and just go to my room. I am embarrassed because I am treading water with one and one on the way. And so just please know that I would easily consider you a superhuman regardless of how like hardcore you are sticking to Montessori and home right now. Um, as Rachel said, ideally, the thing about this philosophy is it's meant to make your experience easier and take out a lot of the power struggles and to offer you and your child alternative languages and tactics and navigating these day to day like situations and especially between sibling relationships, right? The classrooms are structured to be sort of like a family with these mixed age groupings. So as when you have siblings close in age like that. Um, so yeah, I guess my best advice for where you are right now is just like, and this is totally a Megan thing. I'm going to steal it from Megan, but doing some of that self-work or as we call it, the preparation of the parent that is necessary to figure out like, what are the most important things to you right now as a parent? And what are the things that feel like stumbling blocks or the walls that are standing in your way to get there right now? What specifically has you triggered or overwhelmed uh, what has you feeling unable to catch your breath or enjoying like being present in the moment? Because if you're unable to be present and allow yourself to absorb and observe your boys and what they're showing you about themselves, then no amount of fancy subscription toy boxes or curated shelves and environments are going to matter at all. And honestly, if you've been listening to us for a while, then you already know that we honestly don't really think that stuff does matter that much. So Montessori at home is as simple as going outside and getting dirty together, um, exploring little things, respecting your kids as unique individuals, seeing that they want to help out around the house and trying wherever you can to give them opportunities to do that. Um, remembering that there is no one size fits all approach to kids, right? So whatever consumes the interests of your oldest kid is most likely not going to resonate with the youngest kid. And what your middle son needs will be completely different from what anybody else needs, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that feels very overwhelming, but it's completely normal. And if it's tolerated and even respected, then honestly, that right there will just be a great gift that you can give to the boys is that they were allowed to be unabashedly themselves growing up. And then just try to remember that it will get easier. And like Rachel said, just go easy on yourself in the meantime, because that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, we say, we say easier in, in, in a sense that physically you'll be able to enjoy it. Hopefully you'll have a sense of peace, um, you know, by being able to feel present, to be able to feel like you have the tools that you need to be able to feel like you know yourself enough to get what you need. Um, but it is a lot of work. It really is. I mean, even just the self-education, the learning about yourself and the things that trigger you, trigger you. Like it's probably easier not to honestly, but um, in the end the way that we are 
phrasing it, we mean that we want you to enjoy this time as much as possible. And we've talked about how it's not necessarily all enjoyable, but um, I think that the biggest part is knowing that every, every season of this journey is different. Like sometimes you just, sometimes it's just not going to be pretty (laughs) and it's not going to look beautiful. And that doesn't mean that's the entire picture. And I think that we can all um, recognize and see within our own journeys that, that it feels like it's going to last forever and it feels like you're just failing or it feels like you're not the Montessori parent that you see on social media, but that it's really about all of the things that Laura said so beautifully and all the things that Rachel said so beautifully. So I feel like the the purpose of our podcast and, and, and us, you know, in the midst of sickness and children coming and talking these mics (laughs) and each other is mostly to help each other not feel so alone and know that it's really hard. And even if you weren't going to go the Montessori route, that it's really hard. And sometimes you just, it's nice to just talk about it too, you know? So I don't know. I think the, the biggest part of volume (laughs) of children, um, interestingly, Maria Montessori believed that more children was actually better. So you're more Montessorian than the rest of us. Um, (laughs) So she believed that, I think it's so for primary for ages three to six, she believed that 30 children was the ideal number, which just seems like a lot of kids. (laughs) It seems like a lot. Um, But she believed that the, when we couldn't be involved in everything that they're doing, like you just physically can't help 30 children that we were, we would be more likely to give them the freedom to be independent and get things themselves. So I guess you could see it also as a gift that um, they're going to have the gift of independence because you just, you can't do everything for them. You just physically can't. So, you know, whereas you have one, you really have to stop yourself from jumping in at every turn and helping them put on socks when you have three kids, it's like, I hope you get your socks on. Because <laughs> yeah, if you don't, you know no it, they're gonna. Good and they're gonna. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a great point is drop, <laughs> definitely put aside the curated images of like someone's perfect, beautiful playroom with their two to three children working perfectly and peacefully in rays of sunshine. Like that's just not real life. And that if just because you're not attaining that does not mean you're not Montessori or can't be Montessori. That's not what our lives look like. And we are trained guides, right? So just, I just want to put that out there. Like it, it doesn't, it's not going to be pretty all the time. Like Megan said, and that's okay. That doesn't mean it's not valid. Just the fact that you're listening and asking questions that right there tells me that like your heart and your head is in the right place. You're doing your best. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's move on to number four. So number four is that if a child is learning cursive in their Montessori school, is it okay to do non-cursive at home? I'm going to let you start with this one, Megan. Okay. I feel controversial about this one, but I was thinking about it a lot. And so, and this is coming from just the like three to six time when they're learning to write. So I feel like I'd feel differently if we were talking about elementary age children. Right. But for children who are learning to write for the first time, 
I have mixed feelings about this and maybe we could talk about it and you could change my mind, but I don't think, I don't think I want parents teaching writing at home if their child is in a Montessori classroom or in a Montessori school. So I would probably suggest that they can draw at home. Um, of course, there is that explosion into writing where they want to write everything in sight, anything they can think of constantly. And if that's happening, I think it. I would prefer that they stick to supporting what we're doing at school, but not introducing it for the first time. Um, so if I was their teacher, I would definitely prefer if parents didn't teach letters at home. <laughs> the face she's making right now. Like, don't be mad. Don't be mad. I'm sorry. Um, I love that you just said that. And I'm not, not even primary trained. Yeah, but you know what? You're not the first primary trained teacher that I've heard say that. I remember sitting okay. across I'm levels sweating all the time. That. I oh, hate having like a strong opinion no, no, no. about these things. I, was, <laughs> I would sit in cross levels all the time, right? As an elementary teacher meeting with the primary teachers. And they would say like, in conferences, they were constantly asking parents to to ease off on trying to teach them. I mean, similar to what we were saying about like flashcards with math and trying to, you know, drill operations. Handwriting also is something that you don't need to be doing at home if they're doing it in the classroom, especially if you're not 100% familiar with how to teach cursive writing and that is what they're learning in the classroom. So, but it's an important distinction between is this parent asking because this is what they're like, they're doing this at home. They're trying to initiate this themselves and they're just, you know, all they can supplement is print. Or is this parent asking because the kid has exploded into writing and is loving writing all the time. And the parent that is, you know, looking at their writing, isn't really sure how to, you know, like most of us learned cursive for like a minute in fourth grade and haven't had to do it since then. So they're just not comfortable like working in cursive with them. Right. So it's just kind of like a, what's the motivation is definitely a big part of how to answer this one. Yeah. Um, I just, I feel like I see children who, so we have a very specific way that we want to introduce letters and a very specific way that we want to introduce writing. And if that's being done at home in a different way or before we would want it to happen, it can be a little bit confusing. Mm -hmm. And also it can kind of undermine how excited they are to write and use their sandpaper letters and to use cursive because they feel more comfortable, you know, with their big block capital letters because that's what they learned before. Um, and then that's what they're doing at home and then they come to school. And so, and then, I don't know, I feel like, and I feel like you guys probably feel the same way. I feel like the more parents get involved in that, in what would happen in the classroom, the more sticky it gets. And a lot of times the things that we're requesting is read together, draw, do chores around the house, go on outings together. Like that's what I would prefer happen and let me kind of walk through the sequence according to their readiness because that's, you know, that's our area. That's what we know how to do and kind of take that off of the parents' plate, please. Well, I think that that's <laughs> pretty please. 
Um, I think that that makes sense to ask. I think, and we're not even really diving into the fact that when we're teaching the letters, first of all, the last, the, the, the last step is picking up a, a pencil and putting it to paper. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. there's these sandpaper letters where they're tracing things. There's a chalkboard somewhere in the middle. They're, they're rarely being asked the name of the letter. They're being asked the letter sound so that this like writing and reading kind of end up like being really beautifully paired together because you know the sound the letter makes rather than the name of it, which of course comes at some point, but it's not the first thing that we're drilling. Um, So that, you know, Megan's point of view is talking about if you have a children's house age student, so that three to six kind of age group, I generally am getting them at six, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I have seen, and I've seen parents be concerned there too, like, well, I know you do cursive here, but you know, everything else is print or he's, he's trying to write it in print at home. And I will say that generally when you're getting to that age, kids do make that connection between print and cursive pretty immediately and usually pretty effortlessly. Because if you think about it, most of the words that they begin to identify and read around them in books, on signs, captions on TV, pretty much everything really, they're in print rather than cursive. So they do connect those dots. And the reason that we teach cursive letter formation when they're learning to write is that the way that the letters flow and connect make them considerably easier to form without letter reversals or many of those typical mix-ups that you see like B and D, for example, get confused a lot in lowercase print letters. Um, But the way that they're formed in cursive, it's really hard to confuse them. So they it also because of the way cursive flows together it allows the children to literally connect the letters together to form the word which is a very tangible representation of connecting the sounds together to form a word so if you find that your child is able to switch off to print correctly and forming the letters and stringing the sounds together to form words then i i wouldn't panic about her ability to straddle both concepts But if you find that she or he is getting the print letters super mixed up and it's way harder to put a word together, then it might be worth just focusing on cursive and letting that be happening in the classroom, like not drilling it at home. If they want to write in cursive, then that's fine. But just having the understanding that they will at some point be able to naturally transition to print once they have a stronger grasp on the skills of reading and writing. Um, but I will re- reiterate Megan's point of if if you're drilling it at home because you think you need to be doing it at home, you don't. And you can stop, <laughs> please. <laughs> <laughs> All over our faces like, um, I'm sorry. I just, I feel like we, and I know this as a parent, like I want to be involved and I want to, you know, if they're asking like, how do I spell this? And, and you want to, you know, oh, they're interested. So I want to help. Um, but it is, there is a method and there are, um, steps. And if they are in a, in a Montessori classroom, they're, they are taken care of. Yeah. And like, if they're like, I I, I drew a picture of a cat, how do I write cat underneath? And you help them kind of through the sounds and they write something that's not completely correct, but they're four. It's totally fine. Wow. Great job. That's beautiful. I'm going to put it on the fridge. Um, if you are the one that's like, that's a cat. Can you write cat for me? Then like you can back down. Uh, it's uh, okay. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, it, it is a line. I don't want you to go away being like, you know, Megan said that I can't ever write with my child. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that. How about this? I would prefer if it were child driven at mm-hmm. home 
and not parent driven at home, please. And thank you. That's fair. I okay. think that's a fair compromise. Okay. okay. I don't want led. you to be like, you know, mom, I, I wrote, I wrote, I love you, mommy. How do I spell that? And you're like, no, make sense. <laughs> I can't Absolutely help you. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'll be breaking you if I help you. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have, you know, not <laughs> teachers going to come, gonna come like, find me. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm harsh. just saying that we yeah. don't need the workbooks at home, please. We don't need, um, we don't need to sit down and practice the letters so that they can be more successful at school because you might often be undermining what they are doing at school. Yeah. Trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right, so let's move on to number five. So number five is potty training the Montessori way. Stand up diapering, why, when, how, just basically wanting to know everything about this super fun part of the parenting journey. And we are both going to humbly pass this one to Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Muting Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, No, so we do have an entire episode um, called Potty in the USA that goes into deep, deep detail about this. Um, So I'm going to give a quick explanation, but this is by no means like all the information you're going to want on toilet learning, kind of the Montessori um, way or um, the way we kind of share. So there's not really a Montessori way also to potty train. Um, Maria herself didn't write a curriculum on this topic. Um, Infant toddler guides use an approach called toilet learning. Um, it's what I learned in my training. It's it's just a different way of kind of going about the potty training process because um, because we at because as we see it, we are not really training our children to use the toilet. We are observing them and listening to them and allowing them to show us when we, they are ready. So versus potty training, potty training a lot of the times is parent driven. It's like, okay, I'm ready for my child to wear underwear. I'm going to start tomorrow versus toilet learning is you're observing, you're seeing all these signs of readiness and then you're like, okay, they're showing me they're ready. So I think they're ready and I need to buy underwear and prepare my home and environment at me right now. I know I need to do it, Rachel. (laughs) directly okay. speaking to you, Megan. I'm looking at Megan telling her she has to do it right now with her this child weekend. that is so ready. I know. Okay. I'm muting myself again. <laughs> so some signs of readiness are staying dry for longer periods of time, taking off their diapers independently, Megan, showing lots of interest in the toilet, having a bowel movement maybe at the same time daily, So those are just a few signs of readiness. There's really, if you type in Google toilet learning readiness, there's going to be a lot more that pop up. Um, We also start stand-up diapering as soon as our children can stand up independently. We do this because one, um, let's be honest, it's not easy to change a child's diaper once they're mobile once they're crawling, once they're rolling, once they're, they, I mean, it's like they roll away, then there's poo. I mean, it's oh, not the barrel easy. rolls. You've yeah. got like the alligator death roll uh-huh. as soon as as soon as there's it's so fecal hard matter to visible. change a mobile baby's diaper. So, two, it also prepares them to use the toilet later when they are standing up. It's just kind of natural. Um, so, stand up diapering changes are often done in the bathroom, also rather than um, in you know on a changing table in the bedroom, just because you're 
kind of starting that toileting process of this is where we use the bathroom. So this is where I'm also going to change your diaper and the toilet is there available for them. Most importantly, it allows them to be a part of the process rather than just having something done to them. So, I mean, when they're laying there, you're just kind of doing their diaper versus when they're standing up, um, they are a part of the process. Um, Make sure you have everything ready, your diaper, your wipes, your trash can, your bag if you need, or if using a cloth diaper, you have your washing bags. Um, Everything is readily available for you. So as you are changing them, tell them what you're doing to their body. Um, You can tell them, I'm wiping you now. It may feel cold. Let them feel the white before you wipe their bottom. Um, Allow them to be a part of the process. Um, You can even ask, would you like to fill the wipe? And they may be like, oh, it's cold and kind of have that giggle. Um, when before you wipe them with that, they're having that sensory experience also knowing the cold is about to hit their body. It really is a lot of the same principles as laying, as changing, laying them down in the monastery philosophy, just really allowing them to be a part of the process and have consent along the way, which just um, when they are infants and laying down, there is a kind of a certain I don't want to say another, it's not a monastery way. It's just a very respectful way of being part of the process and telling your child what you are doing to them. Because even though they, you may not think they are understanding what you're doing to their body and it's preparing them later for stand-up diapering and for toilet learning. So that's a lot, but it's not nearly as much as we also share in our episodes. So If you are really like looking to do that or if you have questions just based on toilet learning in the Montessori way, listen to our um, entire episode called Potty in the USA. And with that, we should move on to confessions, my friends. We need to do one with you, Rachel, on um, starting over. So say you went on the potty learning journey and you are having some struggles yeah. or you're not feeling successful or you're maybe feeling like your child's not ready. I'm not yelling at you this time. Laura. I was going to say, now I feel like you're yelling at me because <laughs> hypothetically speaking, some of us might need an episode on doing like a reset because and you, you are not started the only your one. journey had and quite a few people. Yeah, reach I just answered some DMs about it. Yep. Asking yep. Um, about kind of some troubleshooting. So I think we need to, if you're interested in that, reach out to us. Um, We really do try to curate our episode topics to what you all want to hear and what you are maybe struggling with or interested in. So if that's something you're, if you'd like to hear, um, please reach out. And I'm not yelling at you. Everyone has been, I just want to go home. (laughs) Everyone's tired and scared and sick. (laughs) Um, I'm pregnant. Scared. (laughs) No, I will put my vote in for that episode. I would love to do a circle back to what happens if you try to do all the things and it doesn't happen beautifully in like a three day period, you know? Um, So yeah, I, I I do also want to note that we have like five more really solid questions to go over. So we are just going to split this into a two parter and we'll just wrap it for tonight because we're already at like an hour's worth of questions and I'm sure you guys do not want to sit for another hour's worth. So, <laughs> so go ahead, let's, Rachel. Let's lighten things up to finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. 
So what do we have to share? Laura, I see you have some notes. You want to go <laughs> I ahead to put and notes in. share those I'd notes? Put, wait, did you want to go first because you have to go nurse? It's okay. No, that's a good point. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, actually, I probably should yeah. go first. I would make the yeah. most sense. Yeah. Okay. What are we going to um, do when you both have to nurse? I don't know. I know. You'll just stare at the computer by yourself. I have enough <laughs> confessions to that's true. do them that's almost very true. <laughs> It'll be Confessions with Megan. The best part. Arguably a new <laughs> spinoff podcast that I would listen to every day, all day. <laughs> all right. Sorry, Rachel. Go ahead. Okay. So I've been thinking if I was going to share this or not, but I feel like starting off talking. strong, starting off strong. If you were unsure if you should share this, <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, that means you definitely should share it. <laughs> I feel like I keep talking, like I've talked about this to many people and they're like, what? And this is really embarrassing, honestly, but it's kind of something I just need to get off my chest that I don't ever wear underwear with my pants or leggings. <laughs> like never. Wait, 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 did I cut that? Yeah, from... you did cut it. Okay. Okay. I was like, this is not the first time I'm hearing this, no. but it might be the first time our audience is hearing You did this. cut it. I listened and you, you cut, cut it. That? <laughs> well, it was getting a really long conversation. So I just thought yeah. that really, I've thought about it and I was like, well, people need to I know. I think <laughs> I should just share it because it's okay if you don't wear underwear with your leggings, it's okay. guys. It's okay. I'm not judging you. Now, there, now when you're pregnant, it's just, is it like a honestly, laundry reason? Is it like a, no, definitely not a laundry. <laughs> I mean, laundry never gets done in my house, but that's not a laundry reason. <laughs> Really, I think it's after when I've been pregnant, I get super nauseous and I have this gag reflex that is like hell and I literally can't function. So I think like having something extra on my waistline when I was pregnant uh. like was like terrible. So now I just stopped when I was pregnant. I would just like put a pad in my pants when I was super pregnant and peed all the time. When I <laughs> yeah, we, I've shared that confession already. <laughs> So I've just never, I've never gone back, never gone back. And it's really great. So I'm not oh, going back. It's really great. She's, so you really she's free as a bird. You recommend you should the try commando it. life. I'm in my joggers yeah. with no underwear right now as I speak. Commando try it. Lifestyle. You'll like it. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Um, On that, that note, I'm going to go nurse. So yes. I'm, um, I ahead. love you guys and I will leave everything up. So We love you. Good night. Good night. Um, mine's really fast. I had a two-parter, but since we're not going to go over one of the questions that yielded the second part of my confession, I'm just going to hold on to that. And I'll just make it super fast and say that I I confess that all I want to eat is Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> I won't, <laughs> but I want to. Okay. What's specifically from Taco Bell? It would be easier to pick what I wouldn't want to eat from Taco Bell if I'm honest with you. Do they still have this? Do you remember? Am I going to make you really hungry if I do this? Probably. Go. Do do it. I'm going to do it anyway. Do you remember when they would make the taco shells out of Doritos? Yeah, they do still do that. Yes, Doritos Locos Tacos. Should we go? Are so good. You girl, you name the time and place, and I am 100 percent there. Because I am also disgusting and love Taco Bell. I know that's the thing is I can only imagine how many of our listeners are like <gasps> you guys are disgusting. I would never and I don't blame I shouldn't it's not real food but 
yes, you know, well, pregnancy for our cravings, dude. listeners, because we do have several that are not in the United States. And I Good don't point. think that Taco Bell is frequented in these other countries. So um, it is a what we can very loosely call a fast food Mexican restaurant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, mostly it's just like $1 tacos um, that are... I think that there was like for a long time people said that the uh, meat was made from cat food. <laughs> At one point I heard horses. <laughs> Did you ever hear that one? I don't yeah. think it's true, but it's definitely not like I mean, I don't high quality would... organic grass fed beef or anything. Yeah, right? they like, wouldn't keep them open if they were serving horse meat. <laughs> wouldn't they though? I don't know. Um, but anyway, it's disgusting and it's delicious. And there's nothing better than being 21 out on the town, 3 a.m. with a Taco Bell burrito. Mm. There's also very with few mild things better sauce, than my mouth being is watering. a complete adult in your 30s, 38 weeks pregnant <laughs> with a Mexican pizza and a quesarito and some hot sauce. <laughs> Not on the town, on and your couch. Baja breeze. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's my confession is that I like, it's scaring me how much I want it all. Like I could eat it every night. The if fact I that you are 38 weeks less. pregnant and haven't gotten it is surprising to me because it's like when I'm pregnant, like what mama wants, mama gets. Thank you there for is no always, willpower. you have this amazing gift for flipping <laughs> my humiliating <laughs> confessions into being like ways to like celebrate me and how great yeah. I am. So just you are the best friend that I could have at this point in my ridiculous pregnancy. They call it enabling. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess there is a term for no, why you I feel so it. good. Yeah, you're like, wow, you're a superhuman. You should probably get Taco Bell to congratulate yourself. Okay, well, all right, it'll be good. I'm done. You you hit us with with your best shot. What do you got? Okay. So I was giggling writing this down. So I have now started to make a list of embarrassing things that come to my brain. Um, so far it's pretty long, but the one that I looked at and immediately started giggling was the one that I'm going to choose. So okay. hi, Rachel. Oh, she's back. It back in time. <clears throat> well, I forgot to tell you guys too. I just had to say this. We now have a company debit card. So I got it today in the mail. Oh, now we only have $52 to spend on that (laughs) debit card, but I mean, we got one. So you know how much Taco Bell I could get for $52? I mean, you don't need it for underwear, so we're good. She's eating like a queen tonight. (laughs) (laughs) All right, go ahead. Okay, so um, I was in the sixth grade. It was the end of the year, and we'd all gotten our yearbooks, and... um, I didn't have, you know, everyone goes around and gets their yearbook signed by everyone. And it was like my first year of middle school. So I was really excited and I wanted everybody's signature and them to like, obviously write something about how amazing and wonderful I am and how I've changed their lives forever by being their friend. Um, And I didn't get around to everybody. And normally you would just be like, Okay, I didn't I didn't get to everyone, but little sixth grader me was like, I'll go home and I'll write <laughs> little messages <laughs> from these from people. the people that didn't <laughs> 
that didn't have time to answer. To forge these autographs on behalf of these other middle schoolers. Wow, you are dedicated to and that I was vision. Like, and then when I'm older, I won't remember that I did that. <laughs> And I'll just have all these wonderful things that people wrote. Gosh, I was so popular in sixth grade. Like literally everyone. Really nice things with my neon green gel pen. (laughs) (laughs) Like you didn't even switch up the ink color or handwriting. (laughs) So yes, I was thinking about it. I was like, I do. I'm I'm 32 and I remember that it was me. (laughs) And uh, not the other sixth grade. It seemed so foolproof, though. I know. Like, I was like, there's no way I'm going to remember this in, like, 20 years. Okay. I do. I remember. Well, when we get together to eat our Doritos Locos Tacos, <laughs> I would like you to bring that yearbook so that I can read out loud yeah. to you no, it's the hilarious. well wishes that you wrote to yourself <laughs> from it's your like, imaginary <laughs> friends. It's like, Megan, you're the best. <laughs> it's like, really there's pumped yourself up. nobody else like huh? you. <laughs> Best part of sixth grade, you, Megan. <laughs> so that's the funniest part is like all the little messages that I like imagined that people would write about me. And I wrote them in my gel pen and I'm still embarrassed about it, even though I thought that I would forget about it. So oh, that's so good. That's such a sixth grade thing to do, too. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, for some reason, against my better judgment, I'm going to let Megan take us out of this one. <laughs> oh, go ahead, oh, Megan. Hold on. Oh, hold great. On. The fact that she's pleasantly <laughs> no, I, surprised. I genuinely thought that I wasn't allowed to talk this episode because I was looking at it. I was like, I'm not introing. I'm not asking any questions. I'm just going to sit here. And it, most of the questions I didn't even answer ahead of time because I just gave up. So, okay. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. 